Welcome to the Hashtag Hope Wall Podcast with your host, Destiny Davies, proudly brought to you by The Solitude Project, bringing you conversations behind closed doors where others share their stories of love, hope, and inspiration, including the tools they have used to overcome adversities in this journey called life. To the world, you may be one person, but to one person, you may be the world. Today, our guest speaker is Perry Power, who will be sharing his story, My Granddad Sexually Abused Me. Perry is a courageous young man who has used his voice to share his story to help thousands around the world. Perry is the author of Breaking the Silence, which hit number one in the UK just days after it was released, sharing his own in-depth story and untold stories of other victims at the hands of sexual abuse. Perry has also founded We Rescue Kids, which is a charity that provides therapy and family life safe homes for children that have been rescued from sexual abuse and child trafficking. So take us on your journey. Sure. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I always say that every chance I can get to share my story, any platform I, I get to walk onto is um, is a blessing because you never know who, who hears it, as cliche as it sounds, but it's very true. I, my story, so I was raised by a single dad. My mum walked out when I was four years old. I never really saw her that much. I saw her maybe once or twice a year for a considerable amount of years. Then my stepmom came into my life. She moved in when I was roughly six years old. Then they got married when I was seven or eight. And it, it, it was awesome. I'm from London, if you can't tell by the accent. <laughs> um, and I was very close with my with my nan. So this is my dad's mom. I was very close with her. She used to call me. <laughs> she used to call me Spike. Right, and you'll notice now, like a lot of my, I shouldn't really say this, but like a lot of my like passwords and usernames is always spiked because I used to have like this. <laughs> oh, it's crazy. If you watch like, I can't remember his name. The guy who who's he's dead now, but he used to sing Firestarter. I'm a Firestarter, electric Firestarter. Oh, yes. yes, I know yeah? the song. Um, yes. his, his hair. He used to have crazy spiky hair and I used to do the same, but it used to look like I was constantly having my finger in an electric socket, right? And <laughs> I was just, my hair was just every, all over the place. And my nan used to call me Spike and I used to go around there all the time. And when I was 10, 11 years old, right? My, what, Basically, what ended up happening was my mum, we, we had all the family was around my nan's house. Uh, a few of us was in the living room watching TV. My stepmom was on the couch and was all watching TV and she noticed out of the corner of her eye, my granddad drop his cigarettes. So he used to smoke like roll up cigarettes, right? I was sitting on his lap. I was like 10 years old, sitting on his lap watching TV. He had his hand over the arm of the chair. And then he dropped the cigarette onto the carpet. My mum didn't really take much notice, assuming she would just he would just lean over and pick up the cigarette. 
And then after a while, she noticed he wasn't leaning over to pick up the cigarette, and a cigarette was burning a hole into the carpet. And she was like, "Why? Why on earth is he not doing that?" And then her spidey senses just completely went off the chart because she saw some type of movement, and then she just darted off the couch, walked out of the living room, and called my name to follow her into the kitchen. And then that was the last time I went round to my my nan and granddad's house until my granddad died two years later. Because what ended up happening was my dad questioned me after that visit and asked me what had been going on, and for nearly a year and a half, my granddad had been sexually abusing me, and but he manipulated me to believe that what he was doing was completely fine. There was nothing wrong with it, right?、Um, you'll notice from that story there he was doing things to me when other people were in the room, so he used to get a thrill off of the fact that he could get caught at any second, and he was like. A master hiding in disguise, so to speak, and also because I knew that my my mum was to my right and my nan was behind me, I was like, "Well, what are you doing? There's nothing wrong with it. Because why would he do it if there's family in the room?" And and、uh, he, yeah, he used to do it when there's people in the room, when there's no people in the room, and it's it's an interesting one because I do remember this time where it was the first time I stayed over. So my mum and dad wanted to go out on a date night, so. They made me stay over at my nan's, and I remember crying when I was walking out. They just assumed just because I was just going to be bored, staying at my nan and granddad's house. But I wasn't the case, because that night I remember sleeping. I, I was in their spare bed upstairs. My nan and my granddad were、uh, in the room by the by the door. My granddad had his arm over my nan's shoulders, and they were both saying good night to me. And I remember them both looking at me. I said good night. I remember just staring at my granddad, and I just had this. I remember just having this thought. Which makes me believe that maybe deep down I knew that something was off, but I just wasn't a hundred percent sold on it being off. You know, was, and、uh, and I remember just looking at my granddad, and I was like, I, I and I was just scared, right? And I was just so scared because when I walked out, I was like, I don't know if he's going to come in. If he does that, when I come over for a couple hours, what's he going to do if I'm sleeping over? Now, thank God, nothing happened. He didn't come into the room, but. Like I said, that was going on for a year and a half, and then when when my my parents found out, my dad said to me, "I don't want you speaking about this. Because don't tell anybody. Don't go to school. Don't tell your friends. Don't tell family." And that was because they didn't want shame. They didn't want black cloud over the family. You know,、mm-hmm. power family. That's where Perry used to get abused, and they they just didn't. My my dad was a very very proud man. He was a man's man, and he didn't want people knowing. So. I said okay. I, I, you know, I was 11 years old. I, I didn't. That was fine. But as I grew older, and more and more things came out on the news, more movies came out in regards to sexual abuse, people breaking their silence and speaking out. I then started to realize, holy shit, that's wrong. Like what happened is actually really wrong. And then as I grew older, I started to sit with the story more and more and more. And I then started to blame myself. I then started to be like. What kind of a sick child will go through that for a year and a half and think it's okay and think it's fine? You know, what kind of a sick child would not speak out about it? And and it was a is a very it's an interesting journey because looking back, I realised that this inner child, this little version of me, the ten year old, the eleven year old version of Perry, was locked away inside myself, trying to speak out, trying to show himself, but I built up so many masks. In so many different 
environments and situations to hide that story, right? To hide to hide that version of myself because that version of myself, I was 16 years old. I was still a virgin. I hadn't really dated anybody. I wasn't confident. I was an introvert. And then I remember moving to this new location, like with my family. I was 17. This new location I was moving to in this college, no one knew me. I was a brand new person. So I was like, okay, I can create this new identity, right? I can wear this mask where I can be somebody that I want to be. And I remember moved to this location. I was this Perry who was super, super confident. I was massively extroverted. I'd slept with so many girls, right? Just this complete made up story, but people believed it. I then soon started to believe it, right? And then, and then what ended up happening was then that, and this can happen, like, this is the thing, you can use this as a good or a bad thing. You know, you can tell yourself a story, you can, you can build like this character, so to speak, and then you can start to become the character. And you can use that to your advantage if they're good traits, they're bad traits, and obviously then is then you're not using it to the, to the, to the best of your ability. But like the things like the confidence and the extrovertedness of the character was great because I, I did want that and I did need that. But then the lies of how many girls I've slept with and that was just fake. And um, and I remember this book, but I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know that there were masks. I didn't know exactly the path that I was on until a book came out called The Mask of Masculinity by Lewis Howes. And I remember reading that book and I watched the very first interview. I think he was on Ellen DeGeneres and he was speaking about the mask and speaking about his journey. I was like, wow. And I literally, within that moment, realized what on earth I'd been doing. The mask that I'd been wearing in social environments around men so I can be a man. And then I realized what I had. And I remember the girl that I was with, so I was with her for six years. And then about four and a half years in, I we went for a walk with our dog. And I, I told her, I was like, you know the guy you fell in love with? The guy, he was like a lad, he, he was a player, the bad boy. I said, that was fake. I was still a virgin. And she couldn't believe it. And actually, I was fully prepared for her to walk away, um, but she didn't. And she completely realized and understood why I'd done that. And then that kind of like started off this journey. I was like, okay, if I was doing all of that without knowing, wearing all these masks without knowing subconsciously, what else have I been doing subconsciously? What can I stop in its tracks now so I don't end up doing it subconsciously? And then, so that was like the start of the journey, right? I was still in silence, so I still hadn't told anybody about the abuse except for my mom and dad who knew and my girlfriend at the time. Then, so I was working in fitness uh, because I'm an actor and I was working in fitness. I was like, well, I want to become a personal trainer, build a personal training business to finance my acting career. And I remember I went to a business mastermind event and about a, about two, I think it was about two weeks, two or three weeks before the mastermind event, I'd watched this movie called Spotlight. Have you seen Spotlight? I haven't seen it. No. Do you know which one? Do you know which one I'm talking about? It sounds familiar. Yeah. So Spotlight won. It won like Oscars. It won Best Picture award. It won so many awards. It's about a team of um, journalists in Boston many years ago. He got brought a case of a priest that they had no proof at the time, though, but they got caught, they got brought a case of a priest molesting a kid in America, in Boston. And because it's very tab- taboo, nobody wanted to dive into that. 
right? No one wanted to dive into the Catholic Church system, talk about priests and all that sort of stuff. And and there was this, it started off with this one journalist who then brought a team together of these brave, courageous people who wanted to put their jobs on the line and dive into this individual case. And then I realized, wow, it's not one priest molesting one child. It's priests not, not only all over America, all over the world molesting kids all over the world, right? And it was a crazy, crazy film. And then I remember watching that. And my dad at the time, this was like early 2017. My dad at the time said to me, have you seen Spotlight? He was in the car outside the family home. I said, yeah. And he goes, well, you know, at the end of the film. So at the end of the film, just before the credits, what they have is a series of institutions and churches all over the world that has had documented case, cases of child molestation from the priest to the kids there. And he said to me, the, the church that your granddad grew up in, in Ireland, it's listed on the end of that movie. And then I was like, what, really? And he goes, yeah. And, and then I was thinking about it. I was like, so that makes sense then? And he goes, what do you mean? I said, why he done that to me? And then it, it, it hit a trigger with him. And he's like, well, no, it doesn't make sense. As in like, no, how dare you excuse him for what he done? And then I didn't really take much notice of his reaction. And he just got out of the car. So that was that. And then about two weeks later, so I think that kind of planted the seed and it started to grow inside of my mind. And then. I went to this mastermind event. It was me, four of the trainers there. And then the two uh, teachers and mentors, they're like, right, we're going to go around the room. The normal thing, go around the room, introduce yourselves. And then I literally, I don't know. I really, really do not know what came over me. I really don't. But I remember sitting there, I was like, right, I don't want to go first. I don't want to go first. And, I, and then he sat on the other side of the room, which meant that I was lost because I, I was on the edge of the group. And then as we were going around, I said, you know, my hair, hi, my name's Jack, and I'm blah, 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 from here, doing this, blah, blah, blah. And then it's coming around to me. There was this voice inside me, right? And it's this, you know, and who is that voice? That voice is the 10, 11-year-old Perry. That after um, 14 years of being in silence from the abuse, right? of this self-sabotaging journey. It's like, I need to break out. And it was that inner child that was speaking through me. And it was just saying, this is your time right now to just share your story for the first time, right? And, I, and it was like, you know, there's only four four other students, two coaches, there's four, five, six. There's six people there in total. What's the worst that can happen with six people in the room? Not that, not that much, right? And it came to me <laughs> and my mouth just opened. And then my mouth just opened and then I just allowed whatever words to come out. And I don't remember word for word what I said, but I know what I was saying. And I was literally saying about the abuse. So everything that I've told you guys here was that, but in like a minute and a half to two minute version. And I remember I stopped speaking and there was silence. I didn't look anybody in the eye, right? I was staring at the floor the entire time. There was silence after, after I finished speaking. And I was like, do I look up? Are they all just staring at me? I don't know what to do. I carried on looking at the floor and then one of the teachers was just like, he said something along the lines of, wow, I, we wasn't expecting that. Thank you so much. And then one of them hugged me and then and then in a, in a break, they all came over to me and said, thank you so much for sharing. You, you, you brought us all together. And that was my first like, huh. So I've just shared something that I thought that I would get burned alive for, laughed at, pointed fingers at, and I just got this reaction. Interesting. Now I was there for three or four days, right? Then 
I was driving home from this master. And this is when things really changed. I was driving home from this mastermind. It's about a three-hour drive. And I was thinking to myself, right, I'm in this bubble because this is what happens, right? We live our daily lives. We're in this bubble um, of this our what we class as our normality, and then we go to something like a mastermind or like a retreat or something where there's growth that happens and what you're doing is you're stepping out of your bubble and you're expanding that bubble right so you, you grow as an individual and i knew whilst i was driving home i was like right i have to share this story again but to more people I was, and then I, I said that idea out loud to the universe i was like okay i'm happy with that idea and then i was like right i'll do that when i get home <laughs> and i was like okay and i was driving i was like no i can't do that when i get home because i know there's an hour and a half left of this car journey if i get home and I share my story then, I won't be sharing my story because I would have talked myself out of it. Because as soon as I walk in from my front door, I would have stepped back into my bubble before the mastermind, which is the bubble of living in secrecy. So I was like, okay. And then I literally, the first left that I saw, I turned to the first left, parked my car. I was like, I'm doing this. How do I do it? And this is the thing. I was, just, I was forcing my body into action before the thoughts can talk me out of it. I got my phone out. I was like, okay, I know what to do, I know what to do, I know what to do. And then I got my phone out and hit record. And I started talking, then I stopped, right? And then I turned the video off. And then I did that over and over again. I was crying, I was not crying. I was laughing, I was not laughing. I was like, talk myself out of it, I was talking myself into it. It took me, it took me seven <laughs> takes, right, of doing this. And on that seventh take, I had this video. I think it's like a 14 or 15 minute video of me talking about everything. And like one of the things which I haven't said uh, yet is in 2017, so when I spoke about, uh, I was in my dad's car and he was talking about the uh, Spotlight film. A couple of months later, so June the 1st, 2017, my, my dad just died. He like dropped dead out of nowhere. He had a heart attack, completely random. He's only 48 years old as well. And that sent me down this journey for about six months of just like, what the hell? Like just trying to live with with that and not being in denial constantly but so on that video i was talking about my dad's death i was talking about how i haven't healed because i still blame him i blame me then i talked about the abuse and about how i blame me and i blame my granddad i was like i don't care i'm just getting a video out there now i posted the video onto facebook now that was a ballsy move ballsy move like so i went from six people then to telling i had nearly five thousand friends <laughs> A couple thousand people following me. I was like, I just, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And but I was like, but I'm not. I'm not doing it for the people that are following me. I'm doing it because I need to get my story out there. I need to, to do it. I don't know what comes next. I don't care what comes next. The universe will pave that path out accordingly. I just need to get it out there. And then, then I, I I posted it and I just sat there and I was just thinking those thoughts that I just mentioned. And I was like, right, I need to start driving again. And I had a look at my phone. I just wanted to look. And I saw there was, I can't remember the, figure, the, the numbers, but it was like, I don't know, 60 or 70 views so far on the video. There was two likes and one comment. Now, in that moment, I was like, two likes, one comment. So three people have engaged. And there's like 60 people that viewed it. So does that mean that 57 people are laughing at me and they hate it because they haven't commented or liked it? And then I was in this, whoa. And then as soon as I knew, that I was going to talk myself into deleting that video because of this reception that I just made up in my head. I literally grabbed my phone, threw it into the back of the car so I couldn't reach it. And then I just started driving, right? So I'm not going to try and reach my phone whilst I'm driving because I'll crash the car, right? So 
I just drive him. And then for an hour and a half, I'm driving. I try to, t- I put music on to, just to not go down his train of thoughts of, oh my God, people are laughing at me. Because imagine for an hour and a half, right? I'm like, people are commenting. People are commenting. Yeah. What are they commenting? And then, and then get to my house, park up, and then uh, I look at my phone, and that was it. It was game changer because I saw all of these comments. There was not one negative comment, not one, no exaggeration. There's messages from loads of people, comments from loads of people, likes from loads of people saying, thank you for sharing this. So you've been so courageous. Or I remember I got this one message which made me realize I can share this for other people. Because I shared that for me. Then I got this message from somebody who's in America. And he's like, dude, goes, thank you so much for sharing that. He goes, I can relate. He never shared his story with me, but he said, I can relate on so many levels. He said, my family's on one side of America. I'm on completely the completely the other side I'm chasing my path in entrepreneurship I'm trying to make things happen and I've been going through this self-sabotaging journey my family want me to come home because it's been a tragedy but I can't bring myself to go back home and because I don't know his full story I don't there's obviously reasons why he didn't want to but he said I was going down a very dark path that was only leading to one outcome which I'm uh, you know suicide because I was going down that path and watching your videos seeing you share your stories made me realize that what I went through is okay, and I can share my story. And when I read that, I was like, whoa. I was like, okay. And then from there, every chance I did on every radio station, on every Facebook interview, on every podcast, was doing exactly what I'm doing now, which is share my story. And that was four years ago. So I've been doing this now, three, four years ago. Um, yes, yeah, so 2017 is when I started. Sharing my story at every chance I could get. And I now, it got to a point, right? So this must have been yeah, probably a year to year and a half ago. I took to TikTok. So I'm, I'm assuming everybody listening to this knows what TikTok is. Whether they've got an account or not is a different story. But when TikTok first started, especially in the first six to 12 months, it still is, but there's a lot more uh, variety now. But it was a very much kids dancing when they're kids singing, right? Or... <laughs> or 18 to 25 year old girls trying to be raunchy and sexy on there. It's literally all it was, right? And and I was like, okay. I was like, I know that most of the people that can relate to me living in secrecy are kids, teenagers, and young adults. A lot of them are. It's like, okay, so I'm gonna go onto TikTok and do something that nobody else on there is doing. They're going on there to have a laugh, to have a dance, to have a sing. I'm gonna go on there I talk about a story on sexual abuse, right? I said, I don't know how this is going to go down. But then I did a story, which is the one that you mentioned, um, which is, sorry, which is what made you reach out to me when I put, posted that video um, inside the yes. group. And I posted that video on there. And today, it's currently got 5.9 million views, right? And and then I did a series of other videos after. Um, and they've got, so there's another video I'd, I'd done that's got a couple million views. And now I have 125,000 followers. And I got when I was in the peak of growing our audience, I used to get anywhere between five to 15 stroke 20 messages every single day on my Instagram from kids, from teenagers and young adults who were either thanking me for sharing my stories on TikTok or coming straight out and sharing their story of what they went through and saying that they've never shared it before, but they feel like they can. And I was like, right, I was replying back to everyone. Then for about two months, I stopped replying to everyone because I got completely overwhelmed because I was like, you know, because it did get to a stage. 
that's it right and i got to the stage right where i was getting and some of these stories were just jesus like some of them i i remember this one and it's kind of what made me stop she was like i am um, she's like thank you for sharing the story and she told me what she was going through and she was saying how i won't say any names but story wise i was like she was she said i i'm at home i live with my mum and my uncle and um my uncle rapes me very regularly and my mum abuses me uh physically and she burns cigarette butts out on me and i'm going through this nearly every day she goes what shall i do and can you help can you give me any words and i remember reading this and that was the first like rough story that was present a lot of them i got where i went through this a while ago but that one was like i'm going through this today what can i do and i remember reading that i was like jesus i was like i'm just perry from london i and, and then i was like i i don't know what i can say to you to and then i felt this like huge weight on my shoulders to and then more and more stories came through a present of what was going on and then it just overwhelmed me i was like i don't know how to help these people like that sure i can tell them call the police sure i can tell them go and see a therapist but they know these things they know that that is an option right and they haven't done that so me telling them to go and do that is not going to change the situation because they've done it already and i i didn't know what to say or do and about a month or two went by and I was talking to my girlfriend, a different girlfriend at the time. And I remember I said something to me. She asked me a question. She's like, "When you shared your story, was you looking for a reaction from people or from a specific person?" I said, "No, I just wanted to be heard." And I was like, "Oh." And then it clicked into place. I was like, "They're not looking, right?" I was like, "They're not looking for yes, they want to get out of it, but that message isn't looking for an answer to get out of it. They just want to be heard by somebody." They want to be heard by somebody who has gone through or going through what they are got they have gone through or going through. And then I just started replying back to everybody. And um and then there was this one girl who said to me she was going through something similar. And then I remember saying to her I was like listen if you know practical advice I'm sure you know this already but go to police go and see a therapist, you know. And I didn't hear back from her and I remember I followed up with her about 3 months later and she said to me she was well thank you for saying that she goes because i i took your advice i went to the police we went to court and i'm now living with my dad thank you and i was like wow yeah i was like wow okay and then and then i've always had this idea right to write a uh, to write a book and I think it was imposter syndrome. I was like, "Well, why on earth would I write a book? Why would people want to read a book from me?" type of thing. And then I watched the Jeffrey Epstein documentary on Netflix, and and then I was watching the first couple of episodes of these girls talking about what happened. And I was thinking to myself, I was, I was like, you know, they're talking about how they were scared to break their silence, and I was thinking, no, I need to, I need to start this. So I started it, and I wrote the book in the first lockdown, and. It was at that time too where I I have so I have a good friend she lives in San Diego in America and she's been through something similar in regards to sexual abuse she grew up in a foster home though different to me but she grew up in a foster home she was left on a doorstep of a foster home when she was a baby from her actual mum and who she's never seen to this day and she went into this foster home and it was great it was you know loving loving foster parents 
um, there's always like different kids in the house until she got to an age, right? Until she got to an age where she was old enough to understand and make decisions. And it was at that age where her foster parents turned. And what it ended up being, this foster home ended up being these, uh, the foster parents would have like a, almost as if like a client list where men would come in and the kids that would, were there would be in a line. And the men would come in and they would rape each, each kid. And the other kids would have to hold that kid down, right? And it was either rape or it was torture. And she grew up in this foster home where she was either raped or she was tortured. And she speaks very openly about how it gets to a point where you've been tortured enough. I mean, I'm talking about torture like you see in films, where you've been, she got scars on her and stuff, and where you're tortured enough where the pain isn't a thing anymore. And you, you actually want to end yourself because you know, like you, you're literally in this place where you want to end yourself. And she goes, and when she got to that stage, the universe spoke and a foster mom came and adopted her. And that was when her life changed. And this foster, this foster mom gave her the best life she could ever, ever ask for. And um, we actually joined forces. So she started the charity. She started the ball rolling on this charity. And she reached out to me and was talking about it. And I was like, I need something there in place when kids reach out to me through tiktok or through a book i have something there you know to help them through and then she goes well let's let's join together on this so there's me there's juliet and uh there's sam so there's three of us that runs charity that's called we rescue kids and we're a month away from from being granted our non-profit status it takes like a year or two it takes a very long time which is crazy how long it can take to to get that uh legality on paper and once that is done, it means we can start. We've been getting a lot of donations through, but we haven't been getting big lump sum donations because we haven't got a non-profit status, which means for tax purposes. Mm. So once we do that, we can start getting much bigger donations, um, and then we'll be getting our first safe home. So we've already been, we're already in uh, conversation using our lawyer with the American government, to, uh, and they've already got got kids ready. So when we open up our first safe safe home in America we can start bringing kids into our safe home because our main objective with, with uh, We Rescue Kids is we will eventually have a team that will go out and rescue kids from sex trafficking, right? Boots on the ground, so to speak. But our main focus is the aftercare, right? Because I've got experience, so has Juliet got experience in once you've been abused and you're living in silence, if you don't have that support, then things can get very sour. Now, to quickly dive into that, what I found out after sharing my story was I found out from my auntie, right, that uh, my dad was a victim of sexual abuse from my granddad, the same man. So was my auntie, so was my cousin. He abused four of us, right? Now, it makes sense why my dad had a reaction in the car when I spoke about the spotlight thing, when I said, oh, so that makes sense because he wasn't getting angry because of me. He was getting angry because of him, because he went through it. And he was living in silence. My dad became an alcoholic. Three years, pri three years prior to his death is when he started drinking alcohol. He was drinking vodka. And he was like an invisible alcoholic. Yeah, he could drive whilst he was drunk. And he like he, he could very... Fair play to him. It's a very good skill. It's crazy, crazy skill. I couldn't do it. right? But he, he could function very well when he was very drunk. But he, got, he became very negative. He lost so much weight and he then became a diabetic. It's like, it's like a domino effect, you know, you flick over one domino, you think, oh, I'm just gonna have a drink, but then that leads into something else, leads into something else. 
and he, these too many dominoes were falling over and his body packed in and then that's why he had the heart attack and then I found out well he, he went down that road of self-sabotage because he was living in silence I asked him it was literally a week I think it was a week before he died and I because he came around to my house and he was drunk because he just had an argument with my mum and when he left I texted him I said why are you drinking so much it's every day now and he said I'm doing it to fight away the demons and at the time I was like what demons is he talking about it all makes sense and then I find out from my auntie that my granddad uh, he grew up in Ireland in a in a Catholic church boarding school him and his brother were raped and molested by the priests and his two sisters were brought up in a Catholic church with uh, with nuns and the same thing happened with those two with abuse with the nuns and it's evident that my granddad never got the support that he needed after it happened he sat with it in silence for so long and he took the path of inflicting the pain that was inflicted onto him onto other people and my dad he never did the same he never inflicted that onto other people but he also inflicted it onto himself through alcohol abuse and i said and i made a decision i'm not going down that same path i'm changing the generational cycle and it's stopping with me so i started the charity and i wrote this book called breaking the silence stories from survivors of sexual abuse which launches on friday this week on amazon which is really cool um and yeah the book is the book is it's a 138 page book it's not i went down this path as like i all these books you see they're thick books and when i wrote this book i was like right i just got out everything i needed and it's only 138 pages and i sat with it for ages i was like it's a it's a relatively short book but i was like hold on when I, when I had a look at all of my books that are really thick, because like, how many of those have I actually finished word for word? But, I mean, quite a few of them, but there's still a few where I feel like I've gotten what I need. I've gotten the message out of the book and I've only read like half of it. I was like, you know what? I'm going to sit with this book because it's, it's, you know, you can read it. It doesn't, won't take you a month to read. It'll take you maybe a day to read, if that, and you'll get everything you need out of it. So the book is in three parts. Part one is my story in detail. The, the abuse, living in secrecy, the masks, and breaking the silence. Part two of the book, which is very much what I wanted to make this book about, is that it's not necessarily about me, it's about survivors as a whole. It's about victims of sexual abuse as a whole. And I wanted to get a handful of people from all the kids that reached out to me who haven't shared their story publicly, to share their story publicly for the first time and do it inside the book. So there's 14 stories inside the book of survivors where you can read word for word a, like one of them is a transcription so my cousin who was abused by my granddad she'd never spoken out about it before right to public and i went round to hers and i got it on video um, of her and she was shaking she was crying um but she needed to do that to break her silence and i did a word for word audio transcription into the book right so you can literally read how raw it is coming from the person um you know it's not been marketed i haven't changed the language it's literally what it is and then there's 13 other ones with that one of uh, other survivors talking about their abuse and then part three of the book is basically like advice and chapters about how people who are reading it who are living in silence can break that silence and pick the right method because this is what i say in the book breaking your silence doesn't mean you need to jump on a video like i done and tell the world it doesn't mean that Breaking your silence can be as simple as, to begin with, getting a paintbrush, different paints in a canvas, and expressing your emotions, your, your stored emotions, on an empty canvas. 
what does that painting look like at the end right and just starting that journey of expression because voice is just an expression of emotions so find a different method of expression and then ladder it up until you get to that stage where you feel like you can tell people and that's what the book is about so that launches on friday which i uh, i really can't wait for oh my gosh you are absolutely phenomenal um which is not really something you would think to say after everything that you've just shared but Yes, very courageous. I'm so glad that you listened to your inner guidance. I even love that you said you threw your phone in the back of the car because, I mean, I've been in the exact same space, not with the story that you shared, but that same thing of wanting to share parts of, you know, who you truly are, but then looking at messages and telling those same stories. So hearing your internal dialogue, mm. I definitely can connect with with that. But, oh, my gosh, yes. Yeah. I love that, you know, after you obviously built or you you shared your story and actually wait, there was a question I did want to ask you. This is this what this is what happens. I get so involved with what I'm listening to. I forget to write down the questions. But um did you think that it made it easier for you to share your story after your father had passed? <laughs> or had you already shared it by then? See, that, I, I really love that question. The reason why I like that question is because my my dad he was a he was a very interesting man now he bless his heart he it, it wasn't a i don't usually like saying this because it paints him in a certain light and i think that's just me protecting i think the image of my dad but he was a very um emotionally manipulative man um he was quite emotionally abusive and i think that's uh, a mixture of many things he like i said he's a very very man's man he he wouldn't until he became when he became an alcoholic he he would always cry in front of you he completely changed but majority of his life he he wouldn't cry in front of you he would have to walk out the room i remember this one time when i got a uh, I got robbed. I was young. I was in a park by my house and I got robbed my phone, which my nan brought me for a birthday present, and a five pound note. A guy on a bike um, came over to me with a friend and they both threatened to um, to stab me and they, they asked for my things. So I gave him my things. Then I got home crying. And I remember telling my dad, my dad was home. And then he was just like, what? And I told him it. And then I just remember he, he used, my dad used to wear uh, like rings. He's a big Elvis fan, so like Elvis rings. And he'd turn his rings around. And I didn't know what he was doing. He turned his rings around. He went and got a baseball bat from by the door. He goes, follow me. And I just followed behind, I was just like behind him. And he stormed into this park, right? We're holding the baseball bat. And then, and I saw that the two guys came over from this group of people. The group of people, there must've been 10 to 15 guys and girls there, right? And I said, he's from that group there. And he literally, no, there was no hesitation. He stormed over to the group, right? Like he, not like he could have taken on 15 people, but in his head, he would have taken on 15 people. And he was like, where is the guy who just robbed my son? And then he wasn't there. And they said, oh, we don't know where we, we don't know where he is type of thing. And he lifted his baseball bat up, bat up to them and goes, right, when you see him, you tell him he's a dead man. And then we, we went back to mine. And I remember something he said to me, he goes, don't you ever, ever let somebody treat you like that again right as in like don't don't bad out to somebody who's trying to rob you type of thing and I, and 
you know you can agree with that disagree with that because it's like okay well if i didn't bow down to him what does that mean he's gonna stab me and then i could lose my life it's, it's a pathetic way because i could have you know what that is basically is ego so basically let my ego control me but i remember it's besides the point i remember at the time when he said that to me i was like okay and what that was was his him forcing this sense of masculinity onto me to be a man so in response to your question if he was alive I don't know what it would have looked like, but I can, like now, today's 26 year old Perry, but I can definitely tell you, I'm very confident in saying that I would not have shared my story yet. I would not have broken the silence. Now the reason, I could be wrong, but I, I, I highly doubt it. And the reason why I say that is because my dad, whilst he was alive, he very much, I mean, I moved out of home when I was 19, right? Because my dad came from a family where, where his mum, my nan, my granddad, they were alcoholics growing up, so he used to cook all the meals and they never used to care if he used to go out and not come home for days. He was the complete opposite of me growing up. So if I went to a friend's house, he needed their address, he needed the time, he needed everything. He cotton walled me growing up. As soon as I was 18, 19, I left home and I, and I hadn't moved back home ever since. And um, But he still liked to have a hold of me. He still liked to call me up every single day. And if I hadn't called him for 48 hours, he would, he would basically say that I didn't love him, right? Because I hadn't called him type of thing so when it comes to showing the abuse i know that i would have talked myself out of it for a long time because of the reaction that my dad would have given me and it wouldn't have been a nice reaction they may have gotten to a point where it was like a the short up brother camel's back type of thing and i just wouldn't have cared if my dad never spoke to me ever again but if my dad was still alive i, I very much doubt it and I think that's the that's the truth until it got to a stage where I just wouldn't care because I I know just I know that he what his reaction would have been like you know but um yeah wow thank you for yeah sharing and it's um, I'm glad that you shared and the things obviously that have come since sharing and the things that are going to continue to come all because you had the courage to be true to yourself and now you're i mean you've probably already helped thousands or gonna be helping hundreds of thousands so. potentially <laughs> you're gonna need a much bigger team if you don't have one which i'm sure you already know so it's good you've got others along the side of you to help with what you're doing because i don't know how you're going to be able to cover all of those messages that come your yeah. way as sad as that sounds um, it is a reality, unfortunately, and I think one of the things I could hear while you were talking, and I know myself as well, is hurt people yeah. hurt people, um, which is it their fault? I don't know. I feel very similar to yourself. I can understand why people do the things. It doesn't take away from the choices that they've made, but when you've experienced, you know, when they have it, it is that generational thing. So the other thing I wanted to say is thank you so much for stopping that with you. That's... Oh my gosh, I, yeah, I, I, I could keep saying, it really is, yeah, you've just stopped that for your whole line and you've probably even helped to heal all of that generation that goes back upline if you believe in those things, which I do, that didn't have the courage to do, you didn't just speak for yourself yeah. when you did that, you did it for everybody in your family who didn't have the strength to, and also others that are coming up to you now yeah, you're just absolutely amazing. I'm so thankful that we had you on the show. I, I, I appreciate that. My my Kerry? cousin said the 
she said that to me exactly what you said um like i i in an essence spoke out for the for the family to to heal that going up because it's true i could ver- i could have very much knowingly or unknowingly take taken taken a different path because of the wounds that my dad would have passed on to me because they weren't healed from his end you know um but uh, there's a, there's a very big point and this will be the last thing I say so I know we we're getting on I um there's a very big thing that I cover in the book which is called forgiveness and I do stress because I don't want to force this thing onto people to say that they have to forgive because I oh wow is it is it a a mighty task to do but I remember um it started with my dad so like when I said about on a video about how I blamed him I blamed me I blamed me I blamed my granddad I remember a friend of mine who lost his dad said that he needed to forgive his dad for everything and forgive himself that's how he was able to move forward so I started that journey forgiving me uh for myself or not like the day that he died he messaged me in the morning and he messaged me and said I've been up all night with pain in my stomach it hurts so much and I thought that was just him just whining and just complaining and you know and I didn't respond back to that message and hours later he was dead you know so I I had to forgive myself for that and i forgave him for for everything that he done for, to the family and then and then i was able to move forward as like right if i was able to move forward from that and I, i need to do the same for for the abuse so i forgave myself and i thought that would be enough so i was like no i need to forgive my granddad i wanted to forgive him not for him it's not a get out of jail card i'm forgiving him for me right and to start that was was interesting because people believe that if you are going to forgive your abuser then you are taking away almost as if what they done to you like you're taking away that like as if like you know if for example if if my uncle raped me for 3 years when i was younger and i forgive him now then that means okay well what he's what he did to me was okay because i forgive him oh so it's okay uncle you know don't come around for dinner just be happy happy family that's not the case right and i think it's it's almost down to how you're viewing the forgiveness because my granddad died 2 years after um everybody found out but it was almost as if he wasn't dead because he still had a hold over me so so then the question was well, how do i forgive him and that was when i started to ask questions and i started to the way that i forgive is is trying to put myself into that person's shoes okay so if he And this is what's given me the awareness today to do the book to do the charity because I was like, right, if he abused me, he abused my dad, he abused my auntie, he abused my cousin. What on earth is his story? Why did he get to the stage where he liked to fiddle with kids? Why? He wasn't born like that. You know, and I, and somebody can come to me and show me scientific proof and I'll put my hands up and say, "Okay, I stand corrected." You know, and I'm that type of person, but I don't believe somebody is born like that. I don't believe somebody is born to want to do that. It's how they were raised is how the is the things that they went through is the wounds that weren't healed that hasn't sort of created this identity where that's how they're dealing with it and as i i need to i need to understand his story like if he was alive i would have sat down with him if he was alive i would have his story in my book right i would i would have i would have interviewed him not from a place of i hate you from a place of understanding right and that really allowed me to heal and it really sort of matured me and made me more aware for other areas of life to why somebody shouts at you in i don't know 
for for cutting in front of them in the line why somebody reacts to you from from doing something why somebody might steal from you or there's always a reason right they're always at some stage in their story and i think if you can come from a place of understanding then you're going to be able to much quicker release that weight that you've been carrying for so long and that's what i talk about very heavily in the book wow thank you yeah i totally agree with everything you just said <laughs> i'm just thinking it feels like i'm hearing myself talk but through you because i'm like oh wow it's that I believe exactly the same thing. Well, no, yeah, and that's why I, and I said this, and I said this loads of times in the book. And there's this guy that I'm good friends with. He said to, he's a, is the very first time I heard somebody other than me say these words out loud because these are very. <laughs> this there's been quite a few people when I've said this, that it's like, flip them on me, and then, you know they have like a they'll say something that's negative towards me because of it, and I understand, I really do understand, uh, why they have this reaction. But when he said it, I was like, "That's exactly what I've been preaching for so many years." And I say that being sexually abused and my dad passing away are probably some of the best things that ever happened to me. Right now, somebody's gone through that. But like, well, how on earth can you say that? They're not good things. No, they're not good things that actually happened. Like the event of my dad dying is not a good thing. But what it allowed to happen, the doors that it opened. Allowed it to become a good thing. If my dad was still alive, I wouldn't be on this podcast right now talking about it. I wouldn't have had this book because he would have felt like he was a part of the story because it happened to him, right? So, if he was still alive, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be here. I believe that his passing was a very good thing because it allowed me to, and it allows me to continue to change so many lives. Being sexually abused, I see as a great thing because it's created this person that I am today with this message. Now, yes, if I wasn't abused, I might be here with a different message, but we can't look at things like that because that's not the case. It's make believe. So the, I believe that the universe was like, right, I'm sorry, Perry, but you're gonna have to go through this because the person that you're gonna be after, the world needs, and I think that I think that's the case for a lot of people, you know. And I, I just believe it's all about how you. It's it's your it's your outlook, it's perspective, it's how you look at things. It def- it definitely is. Yes. I'm going to ask one more question before we wrap up. And the question is, what would you say to young Perry who is just about to walk into this journey? What would you say to him? Um, I would say... I think, you know, I think I would tell myself to read, um, oh, I knew I'd forget the name of the book. Of course, typical. Um, it's a book with a horse running on the front. It's a very, one of the most famous books going in personal development and self-help. Um, ah, oh, it's a book, about, <laughs> it's a book about... It's what opened up my eyes to how the thoughts that we have are not us. We are not our thoughts. We are a vessel, right? We are, um, there's this film called, um, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a film where, like, it's an animated film where they're all <laughs> sitting inside, like, the head of this human being and they're controlling this human being, right? Come in what it's called, not inside out. Um, uh, I can't remember exactly what it was called, but it's all about we're not our thoughts. So the thoughts that we have going that are going through our brain, 
that we very much live our lives believing that what we're thinking right now is actually us, right? Where, so what I would tell myself going into this journey is like, dude, I just want you to know that as you're going through this journey, a lot of thoughts are going to be going into your head. There's going to be a lot of self-doubt. There's going to be a lot of naysayers that you believe, you know, you believe there's people out there saying X, Y, and Z. But that's just these thoughts going through your head and you have the power to take a back seat and observe the thoughts that are coming through rather than being in the middle of the thoughts and thinking that you are them. So take a seat, allow the thoughts to come through and then let them go. And then what you'll start to see is that you can start to walk this path that you're going towards, going down. It's going to be a much clearer path because if, because I didn't know that to begin with. That's why it took me so long to break my silence because I was wrapped up in my thoughts. I didn't know that those thoughts were just like almost as if they're a mirage that I can just, I had the power to control and get rid of. But I didn't know that for so many years. And I believe that's what holds a lot of people back. It's what, it's what causes people to stay in jobs that they don't like. It's what causes people to stay with partners that they, that they know they're better off without because it's more toxic to stay with. It's what causes a lot of pain and suffering because they, you know, they're afraid of what's going to come. But why are they afraid of it? Because of the thoughts that they've told themselves. Because of this potential reality that may exist, which comes from the thoughts. But thoughts are not us. We can just observe and let go, right? Um, so it's a bit of a long-winded answer, but that's what I would definitely, definitely advise myself to do, is to read that book and start the path of spirituality at that stage when we just started rather than many years in. Wow. Thank you so much for joining us on the Hashtag Hopeful Podcast, Kiri. Your message is absolutely amazing, inspiring, courourageous, Obviously, many more words, but those are the ones coming to the top. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. If you were going through something similar, I would encourage you to reach out, whether it's to a friend, a family member, a teacher, a colleague, a counselor, a psychologist, or a therapist. By sharing your story, it may help you on your pathway to healing, so you don't need to go through these things alone. Thank you for listening to the Hashtag Hope Wall podcast with your host, Destiny Davies. Check out our messages on Hashtag Hope Wall via thesolitudeproject.com.